Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay, I think we are live. Well, um, welcome everyone. Um, my name's uh, Daniel. Tonight we've got uh, Jocelyn Downey and we're going to be discussing vaccines. Uh, obviously, we usually have Phil here, uh, but he is uh, he's otherwise engaged this evening. So you just you just have me, I'm afraid. Um, the reason we've, we've tried to rush this one through to get this done, because one, Jocelyn knows what he's talking about. And, and secondly, um, we've all got a lot of questions about vaccines and, and constantly getting a lot of questions from uh, you know friends, family, um, and there's a lot of stuff online about vaccines, a lot of misinformation, disinformation, and, and, and all sorts. So I think it'd be really good for us to, I've got a, a lot of questions I want to ask. Uh, uh, Justin, I've got a lot of questions uh, that have been um, given to me as well, and also hoping that during the live stream we'll get um some more some more questions as well and we're we're happy to justin is happy to try um uh, any anything well as long as it's related to vaccines and um so i guess justin why don't you just tell us uh, a little bit about your uh your background and and why why should we trust anything you say about vaccines that's a that's a pretty question to start so i um i, I did an undergraduate degree in science and then i went on to do a phd in um genetics and after which I embarked on a, a career in immunology. So I did work, went to the US, worked at the Scripps Research Institute in California for a while, doing work on septic shock. Um, came back to the UK, worked on tuberculosis, worked on HIV, worked on um, what they call cell signaling, which is looking at how immune cells signal to each other, um, particularly looking at T cells. And I had some involvement in HIV vaccine trial which gives me some authority. Um, I mean, I can't speak, obviously, um, I have knowledge, quite wide knowledge in immunology, but there might be areas where um, my knowledge is weaker, which I think I put in my blog, you know. <laughs> All academics have a speciality, and you move away from the speciality, you suddenly find that your ability to speak comprehensively uh, deteriorates. So, um, and the HIV vaccine trial is looking at um, not using a vaccine to prevent HIV, looking at a vaccine to um, help HIV patients to have a better immune system. Um, so um, that was using DNA vaccine. So I have some familiarity with using DNA. In fact, it's not RNA vaccines, but they're they, they're related development. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Good. Okay. So um, you know, one thing I think a lot of people know about vaccines is that they've been uh, you know pretty successful. So we managed to eradicate smallpox which is great. Uh, we're very close, I think, globally, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, to, to, to eradicating polio as well. I think that's the sort of next one that we're, we're closest yeah. to getting rid of, which would be, a, which will, which will be great. So could you give us a sort of, um, for everyone listening, sort of a brief sort of historical overview of, of, of vaccines, really, I think would be quite helpful for people. Yeah, so um, even before vaccines, um, there, we have a treatment called um, variolation, which was for smallpox. So we see incidences in the 1500s, maybe in China uh, and uh, in Asia, where people would take some of the 
uh, cross from the uh, smallpox uh, wounds and give it to somebody hoping they would get a milder form of smallpox that would then treat them. Um, and that was used, that was in developed, we don't know when it's region developed, but it's certainly introduced into the UK in about 15, sorry, 1715. Um, uh, but the problem with that was that it has a high risk of people developing more severe smallpox and dying from the disease. And then in around the 1770s, um, Edward Jenner noticed that uh, women who had cowpox, a sort of you know, the disease, very mild disease, uh, didn't get smallpox. So he started, he did an experiment where he, he took the cowpox pustule, gave it to a young child who survived, um, then challenged with smallpox. Um, and uh, that was the beginning of the first vaccine. So the cowpox virus became um, then the first vaccine that distributed worldwide. Uh, and then 1840 variolation was banned because of the high risk. And cowpox um, became very widespread and led eventually to the eradication of smallpox. Um, so that's, that's the background of smallpox. And then we had to wait a while before the following um, vaccines developed, vaccines against rabies, uh, measles vaccines. Um, there have been attempts to do vaccines with quite a number of organisms since then, but some are more difficult than others. Um, so that's very, that's the beginnings of vaccination. Uh, and but that was, so those early days really before immunology as a field really got going. So it was later on we started understanding more and more about how the immune system worked and how these how the body fought off disease. Okay, um, so how, how do vaccines sort of norm, normally work? And then what, what is, I think what a lot of people are asking is, um, especially people who would normally have a, you know, uh, a normal vaccine, say for something for, you know, uh, TB or, or, or for, uh, MMR and thing, things like that. Mm -hmm. So why, how, 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 do, how does the, the, the new sort of Pfizer vaccines and Moderna um, actually differ? We, we hear about this mRNA uh, vaccine. Yeah. So what's actually, how does a normal vaccine work? And how do these ones differ? Well, um, I guess the idea of a vaccine originally was you with like a, a mild form of the disease, either a dead, either take a dead form of the disease, like kill a virus or kill a bacterium, and then uh, when you inject it into somebody, they would develop the same immune response that they would develop to the live organism, but you wouldn't get all the symptoms of the organism. So it, because the organisms are the weakened. Um, just using a related organism that's close enough related that it would stimulate a similar immune response or a killed version of the organism so that you're hopefully generating a very similar immune response to how you would have a response to the live organism. But since, you, since it's dead, you wouldn't get the, uh, none of the symptoms of the disease would appear. So that's the basic principle behind them. Um, uh, the immune system itself has... Uh, it has a lot of layers to it. I think many many people consider the antibody response to be the um, response that they think of when they think of the immune system, but in fact there are different strands to the immune system. So, um, some of those are simple as barriers to your skin preventing infection from getting into your body, or the mucus that you have in your uh, in your mouth and your lung lining that prevents viruses from sticking to the cells. Um, so that's, that's sort of a barrier to the infection. Um, and then the okay, so, hmm. go on. And then you go have, on, Karen. Sorry. Then you have the antibody response. Then you have cellular responses where cells and cells attack infection, infecting organisms. Um, and then you have what's called innate immunity, where 
you have uh, uh, cells in your body have uh, receptors that can recognize foreign organisms and mount immediately attack to them. So you have a number of different layers of uh, to the immune system. Okay, um, I think a, a lot of people are aware of, of DNA, but what, what is RNA? So we talk about mRNA virus. What, what, yeah. Could you explain RNA in a way that we could we could maybe help people understand it a little bit more clearly? Yeah, I, I think I'll, so. Every cell in your body has um, DNA in it, the same DNA. You, um, you hear the, the chromosomes you have, and that that's, that's that every cell in your body has basically the same chromosomes. Um, however. Every cell has to have a way of um, regulating which part of your, of your DNA, which part of your chromosomes is switched on or off at any time, because you don't really want to have, um, as I used to say, eyes in your feet. You know, you want to, the, 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 the genes that are switched on in your feet have to be different genes that are switched on in your face or any other part of your body. So the way the body does that is when it wants to turn a gene on, switch on, um, it makes a copy of that gene not into DNA, but into a molecule that's closely related to DNA called RNA. And that, then, that, that molecule then leaves the nucleus of the cell, enters the cytoplasm of the cell, into the main mush of the cell, and uh, where it is uh, fed into a, a complex of machinery in the cell called the ribosome, which reads off, reads, literally reads the code of the RNA molecule and says, oh, this RNA molecule is this protein, the manufactured protein. That, that's coded by the RNA molecule. Yeah. Okay, so um, I guess get on. Um, that's a bit, bit of the background. Um, a lot, a lot of the criticism that I've heard about the vaccine. I should say at first that well, I, I'm very pro vaccine. Just so I'm just trying to. I'm just, I'm just presenting some of the, some of the questions. Um, so a lot of people have argued that. Um, and this is this is even from you know healthcare professionals as well. This is this is a lot. I think a lot of people have a concern that they feel uh, that the vaccine has been rushed, mm. um, and um, and are, are, are worried about the kind of maybe not the efficacy in terms of whether it works or not, but the in terms of its safety that actually it's gone through phase one, phase two, and phase three trials quite yeah. swiftly compared to any other vaccine and that's the case yeah it's vastly quicker i mean so i guess one is um should we be worried and um and 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 two um you know how much how much quicker has this been than than, than some other than the average vaccine that comes onto the market oh there's no question this vaccine has been developed very quickly i think it's it's uh, uh much quicker than any previous vaccine um there are different aspects to why that has happened and uh, why you may or may not be concerned about that. Uh, the technology that's used in the RNA vaccines or even the Oxford vaccine, which is a virus vaccine, has been in development for some time. Um, uh, the idea of using um, uh, viruses or, or DNA vaccines goes back to the 90s or earlier, but I remember the 90s. And um, use of RNA as a vehicle for vaccines is really uh, uh, developed in the last 10 years. So um, the, there's been a sort of phase of development of how we can um, assess the vaccine safety. Now, injecting someone with a live organism, so if, if you were to take, say, um, uh, COVID and kill it, um, which has been done in one trial, um, and inject it into individuals, there are a number of risks that, that go with that. One is you have to guarantee you've killed the organism. 
just a guarantee that the agent who used to kill the organism doesn't kill anybody or cause any, any potential harm to a person. Um, and uh, that, can, that alone can take some time. Um, so uh, so, there's, so the, the, the advantage of an RNA vaccine or a DNA vaccine is that you can take only a small part of the organism. You don't have to use the whole organism. You can use the smallest part of an organism that you know is important to that organism's um, function or its immune response. In this case, they've used the spike protein of the um, of, of the coronavirus, so which is involved in, in binding to cells. So the idea is that they can block binding to cells, or they can mount an immune response to what is very obvious targets on the virus. Um, so uh, um, the technology, in terms of uh, specifically in terms of coronavirus. Um, we had the 2002-2003 SARS outbreak, which caused a bit of a shock to a number of people. Um, and it was contained within really far east for the most part. I think 9,000 cases altogether, but it was largely contained in Guangdong province in China and then Hong Kong. Um, but that and then the MERS outbreak in 2012, um, both of which are human coronaviruses, made the academic world and the pharma world very concerned about the possibility of a coronavirus pandemic in the future. Because there are, I mean, while people talk about there being a lot of coronaviruses, in fact, there are only seven human coronaviruses. Um, and three of those appeared in the last 20 years. You know, SARS, MERS, and now COVID. Um, so there's been a massive concern of potential of a, a quite serious um, pandemic worldwide. For um, So for that reason, a number of companies such as Moderna um, have, were already preparing Technology that will allow a candidate vaccine to be produced quite quickly um, for for a coronavirus, uh, and in this case, so the, the spike protein is something that's conserved. The spike protein um, or variations of it you see on MERS, SARS, and COVID, um, and it's an obvious target for a vaccine. So, really, in January, as soon as the sequence was published, the, the virus DNA uh, genome sequence, the RNA sequence, was was published in journals. People were immediately saying, "Okay, let's take the spike protein and investigate that as a possibility for a vaccine." Um, in fact, I think at the end of January, there's even BBC reported one company had already, was already doing that. So there was a very quick response to develop a vaccine. Now, um, because it's only part of the virus and not the whole virus, there's no chance of infection, and it immediately reduces some of the risk factors that are associated with developing a vaccine. Uh, the work also, I mean, uh, and it is true that the, the, the process happened very quickly, um, and it's important that we um, are very careful. I mean, there are a number of things we have to be very careful of. We have to see, is it safe in humans? Does it um, reduce the symptoms of disease? Does it prevent the spread from one person to another person, which is really a separate issue? Um, and um, are there any long-term effects? Does it reduce long-term immunity? Um, so these are all questions that have to be answered quite quickly in an effort to try and find a way to stem this pandemic. Um, now, some viruses that take much, much longer time to develop a vaccine against are because of the nature of the virus. Some viruses we take very quickly. We're very fortunate that um, while this uh, coronavirus does mutate, it seems to be a much slower rate than some other viruses. Um, Slower, for example, than influenza, and much slower than HIV, which mutates very quickly. So um, HIV vaccine trials have been hampered by, in part, by because of its fast mutation. 
and by the fact that the, the HIV virus can actually integrate into your own DNA, um, which makes it another challenge, whereas this virus does not. So there are, um, that's been helpful. Um, there have been um, scaling up of various processes in the last 20 years, looking at our knowledge of proteins, structures, which has been greatly improved. And, um, and I think also this technology has just been helpful in terms of uh, quickly finding a solution, the answer. Okay. So how, um, how, how rare or common are um, vaccine, you know, side effects to vaccines? And have there been any instances of, of um, you know, individuals who have developed, you know, serious side effects months or years later, um, anything documented? I mean, I mean, my thinking is, I mean, there's no precedent in the sense that uh, even if that is the case, which I'm sure you'll explain in yeah. a minute, uh, that's with the more conventional um, live live viruses compared with this is the, the first one that's been used, you know, an mRNA virus. We don't yeah. have any precedent mm -hmm. for it. So. Oh, that's a that's a big question. Um, so every disease is different, uh, and that and because nature each, each viral infection factor is different, that can that can create or reduce risks for any side effects from a vaccine in a sense. So um, with some diseases, there might be a concern that giving a vaccine might um, increase risk. Okay. Um, of developing serious symptoms from the disease. Um, so, in, so there are, uh, there have been concerns in some vaccine trials in the past that, um, such as dengue fever was one classic example, that perhaps giving a vaccine to, to dengue fever because of the nature of the virus, rather than um, prevent the disease, might actually make first-hand disease more, worse. Um, um, because of some of the immunological, because of some of the immunological targets of the virus, so that is one concern. Um, BCG, so BCG is, is a vaccine that's been studied very thoroughly. Uh, BCG is a vaccine against tuberculosis and, to a lesser extent, leprosy. And um, it was studied very widely in the fifties and sixties as a vaccine candidate. It's proven to be very safe, um, but that doesn't mean that it, it works everywhere in the world. So, when the studies were done in the sixties. Um, it was discovered that in some parts of Southern Africa and in two states in the US, the vaccine didn't really have, um, it wasn't really effective. And there were concerns that in Southern Africa having the vaccine might actually make it more likely to develop tuberculosis. But that wasn't necessarily because of the vaccine itself, but because of um, other organisms in the environment that were um, altering the effects of the vaccine. So. Uh, that's an ongoing question, actually, with the, with the BCG vaccine. Um, in terms of long-term effects, there are some. I, I'm not aware, but that doesn't mean I don't uh, of. Um, I'm trying to think of a vaccine trial where there's been long-term effects long, long time after the vaccine. Um, that I mean, that would seem of, quite unlikely to it's me. Unlikely. I, I can think of. I think a couple of questions related to that. One of which would be. Um, Effects uh, in your mood, effects uh, whether 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 it could cause long term. Some vaccines could potentially cause changes in mood or changes in chronic fatigue. Um, I don't think there's I don't think there's any certain information about that though, um, to my knowledge. Okay, yeah. so um, again, I think a lot of the questions are going to be sort of related around the the Pfizer 
vaccine because that's yeah. the one that 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 we're that's now been approved here in in the UK. Um, uh, another question I've heard asked is that um, if you look at the how how do the the number of participants involved in the Pfizer um, you know phase one phase two tri three trials mm -hmm. compare with um, with other vaccines that have obviously gone through a much longer uh, and some would say rigorous process which I think is I think that's yeah. the concern that people have is that um, which I think I, I think I'm, I'm you know I don't think that have I don't think it's been less rigorous I think yeah. there are really good reasons why uh, the the context of COVID globally of, of a pandemic has allowed us to develop a vaccine this this quickly but I would be interested to you know I mean like to so say from other other sort of um, Va vaccines um you know how many would you normally hope to have in a in a trial to to yeah. demonstrate efficacy <laughs> yeah well so efficacy versus so um the the number of number of patients that i've seen enrolled on trials up to ten thousand in each of the trials is is reasonable um now i have to do a comparison to the in 2011, there was a, a vaccine trial that was announced worldwide as the world's first HIV vaccine trial called the RV144 vaccine trial. Mm. And that was undertaken in uh, in Thailand. I think there were 16,000 individuals involved in that trial. Um, so this vaccine is very comparable to that. Um, it was, you know, it's not international in different countries. Um, uh, and it's really looking at comparison, which, which you can't just, you can't give someone a vaccine and then give them the virus to see if it works that's that's not ethical so we have to look at incidences of people who have had the vaccine who then go on to develop covid and vaccine group and non-vaccine group and the, the, the number of patients seems to seems to be very comparable although obviously vaccines that have, have had a much longer you know vaccines that like bcg that millions of people have had that's almost an ongoing study um yeah and this is this is not this is, this is still fairly early phases um stages of the vaccine yeah so, so your answer would be that actually it's it's comparable to um, to to other vaccines and things. And that's what I said. I mean, that's that's the criticism of people is they said you know maybe it hasn't had enough people. But actually, if no one ever says, well, what what is the number? What was the, what's the threshold that you would accept yeah. to demonstrate efficacy and safety of of the vaccine? But I haven't I haven't seen it. It's something that fits on a meme, you know, yeah. rather than that. It's in, the, it's in the company's interest not to develop a vaccine that's going to cause long-term harm, <laughs> to be honest. Absolutely. Although this is why people say that, uh, again, another claim is, you know, why why don't Pfizer have uh, indemnity? You know, that the government has um, has yeah. given them an, an indemnity. But if yeah. you look at other numerous countries have uh, have uh, it's not just this flu vaccines. A lot of countries give indemnity to pharmaceutical yeah. companies. Otherwise, they would never... Um, Given the risk involved, they would never end up. It wouldn't be cost-effective to develop, um, you know, to develop yeah. vaccines. I imagine they bankrupt them if they have to then pay insurance. Yeah. yeah. So, is that you would have anything to add on that in terms of? No, the, no. I mean, I just see that that, that the government given indemnity, and that that is understandable. Given, um, but I don't think that's necessary reason to doubt the effectiveness of the vaccine. Yeah. No, I think what's happening now is people are starting to, I think. Before COVID, a lot of people didn't know much about vaccines. Yeah. And now we're learning things about the COVID vaccines that we think sound bad, even yeah. though there's precedent in the other vaccines that people have already had or would have if they needed. So in terms of the indemnity, you know, indemnity is that's that's always been in, uh, you know, in place in a lot of countries for a lot of vaccines. But I think hearing about it now, 
spun within the web of a, of a sort of anti-vax narrative um, kind of lends that. It's like, oh, well, if they're having indemnity, that means that maybe they don't know it really works. And and yeah. uh, and actually, they've got nothing to lose if it doesn't work. But actually, uh, you know, Pfizer and Moderna have a, a, a lot to lose. I think Moderna especially was one, you know, I think in the, the, the U.S., chose of one of their the six vaccines i think that they um, that they they um, that funded the development of actually yes. have a lot to lose because as a smaller companies this is their make or break if if they do well in this well this is going to make them for for gener- generations whereas if they if they mess up and get this one wrong that's the end of the company realistically both in the companies and in governments which would do nobody any favors yeah, yeah. um Okay, so um, the, I had a question earlier from someone who'd asked about, um, they said that the Pfizer seemed like they were surprised by the anaphylactoid uh, reactions to the vaccine. I think, was it was it two yeah. or three individuals who had some uh, Yeah, I think, I think it was some, something else emerged that I don't know about. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. So, so is that, is that, is that, my understanding is that people who are already, um, my understanding is these individuals have already had allergies and um to, yeah. to to other things and, and usually it's pretty universally known that if you have allergies you're much more likely to uh to have a, allergic reactions to uh, other um sources so is this is this should we you know be surprised by this or is this absolutely normal it, I mean, it was very sad to see that two people had developed a reaction against the the, the virus um the vaccine sorry um it, it's it's relatively unusual Things that happen now. The vaccine itself is fairly simple. The vaccine consists of um, RNA, which is a, a, a molecule that's natural in your body, and then it has with it um, sort of a, a, a fatty lipid uh, molecule that helps to carry that RNA into your cells. And um, it's possible that the people that got that vaccine and reacted to it reacted against some components in that in that lipid um, carrier, for example. Um, one, I think one of the components of that was polyethylene glycol. And polyethylene glycol, uh, it's not, and polyethylene glycol is used very widely in food, so it's it's fairly safe. Um, and we use it in labs to preserve cells. It's quite well, quite safe, but occasionally someone can react to it. Very, very rarely, but it's possible. So for people that are have an allergy to, to potential components of the vaccine, um, that's very sad, but I would imagine it's a relatively rare event. I wouldn't expect that to be a common side effect. Okay, so it shouldn't be something you, that that should be uh, a, a worry to to people. I mean, I know no. that they've stopped. They've recommended that people with certain yeah. allergies should not have the vaccine. Yeah, I think if you've got if you've got a history of allergies or serious allergies, to which the point the point where you're carrying an epipen. Maybe you have to consider talking to your GP about whether or not you take the vaccine. But uh, for the majority of people, the vaccine really shouldn't pose a problem. Would that be different? So, for um, actually, it might it might be worth um, saying a little bit more about the AstraZeneca. Um, so, we talked a little bit about so far about mRNA, and I've got other questions yeah. on this. But it might be helpful for people to because they they used a, a vector, didn't they? A virus taken from a, a was it? Yeah, a yeah, virus. Yeah. Um, and could you just explain a little bit like what's the difference between using a, a vector compared to we've got our sort of conventional live yeah. virus and then we've got our vector and we've got mrna could you describe yeah. a little bit yeah that's a, that's an important question so um 
So when DNA and RNA vaccines were being developed and try in early trials of them, um, once they're inside cells, they are uh, they can be very effective for producing the uh, required proteins that are used in the vaccine and then creating the vaccine response. But one of the key problems is getting them into cells. Um, if you just if you just put the RNA or DNA molecule into your into into the muscle and just give it a rub, you have very few cells that take up the DNA or RNA molecule, not enough to really create a significant vaccine response. So there are different methods to try and improve that, and one of them is is uh, that uh, Moderna and uh, Pfizer have done, which is to um, uh, to use a lipid carrier to get the, the microcytes cells. Another one, which is very effective, is secovirus, such as adenovirus. And if you put your, your DNA construct into the virus, then the idea is the virus will inject it into the cells and create a very uh, a much greater vaccine response. So inside that virus is really a small bit of DNA that contains components of the virus, uh, the, co the coronavirus. Um, the spike protein, basically. Um, so that once it's injected, it will create more and more copies of the spike protein and create a vaccine response. So it, it should be effective. But that's that's the reason for using the viruses because it's a it's a very good way of getting the um, your vaccine candidate into cells. Okay, no, that's 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 helpful. So um, so can you tell a little bit more about the why one is being why one might be more effective than the other? So it seems in the research. Um, Actually, when you dig down in the data of the AstraZeneca one, that actually it's probably not as um, yeah. as effective yeah. as as first uh, yeah. was communicated in, in in the press. So why what what might be the reason why that one wouldn't be uh, as as effective compared to yeah, uh, mRNA? Yeah, I mean that's a, so, um, and it might turn out that other formulations will be very effective. But there are so there are issues with using uh, any other virus. To or it, this, so this virus is not a replicating virus. This virus is just a particle that will inject these the, the, the uh, virus uh, vaccine into your cells. So it's not going to sort of start dividing in your body and creating a infection. But when you give somebody um, an adenovirus vector, if that person's already had an infection um, of an adenovirus, although this is a chimp adenovirus, so it's less likely to exposed, they're going to develop an uh, immune response, not just to whatever you've put into the cells, but also to the adenovirus. And there are pros and cons to that. And um, and one of the pros is that you, you want to switch on the immune system in order to create uh, an active environment where a vaccine can can really be act more active. Um, but the downside of that is you might eliminate the vaccine before it can do anything. So if you create a very right. massive immune response early on to, to, to the virus, um, it, might not, it might not have a chance to really um, Get going as a as a, as a vaccine. That's one potential. Um, also, it's possible that the, the that the DNA vector. So, because they use a DNA vector inside the, uh, the the adenovirus, it has to get into the cells, has to get into the nucleus, and it, it's less. It's um, we have seen that RNA seems to be better at producing um, good amounts of the protein required for for the virus in the past. So, whereas it has to go in the nucleus, be processed, come out of the nucleus into an RNA molecule. RNA molecules then processed or protein. So it might be to do with that. I haven't actually dug into specific reasons why that's um, uh, that has proven less useful, but that's potential. Yeah. Okay. The um, I don't know if you know much about, it, but the the Russian vaccine is also of is I, am I correct in stating it's also a vector uh, uh, vaccine as well? Because I, I read I saw something recently about um, about them pooling 
data or something, or they're going to combine the vac the vaccines or something. There's something something to yeah. do with that they're working together more closely than they have yeah. previously. Could you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So I haven't looked into the results from the Sputnik um, virus. I did see that Pfizer was thinking collaborating. Um, Sorry, mm. not Pfizer, AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with this with the Sputnik vaccine. Now, let me just say a little bit why why they might do that. Um, so, one of the questions we've got we have to answer with with, the, with any vaccine is um, not only can it uh, prevent you developing severe symptoms of disease, also can it prevent you from spreading it to somebody else, which is a really separate question. And when people develop an immune response to a natural infection, um, so when they develop, when people get exposed to coronavirus in their lungs, um, you get an antibody response around the lung lining, which is different kind of antibody response you would get to that in your blood. Um, you might have heard a lot about um, immunoglobulin G, which is the major antibody that you might find expressed in, in, in blood and muscle. Um, but on your... Um, in your lung lining, it's not antibody, but in goblin A, which is you find in mucous membranes. And we don't know yet whether any of the vaccines we have will produce some, um, an immunoglobulin A response. Um, and that's, although it's possible, there still are some that I know do in trial, but whether the vaccines we've got coming out now, um, uh, and whether that's important in preventing that early, that early um response to prevent you spreading with somebody else or um, and, and a very early stoppage of the virus, basically. Um, so one of the reasons why you might combine viruses is you might want to say, let's, let's broaden the immune responses to, um, to, 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 the, to the coronavirus. It's not just hit them at one form of immune response. Let's, let's try and target in different directions and open, broaden the immune responses because you really want to get an immune response that, that triggers both the uh, cellular immune response and the antibody immune response and for the other parts of the body in a way that's not out of control. Yeah. Okay, no, that's helpful. So um, I think what would be interesting for me to know um, would be, you know, do you do you yourself have any concerns, that sort of genuine concerns about the safety um, of, of the vaccines themselves? So say the Pfizer and the, the AstraZeneca one, is there perhaps one in particular you would, um, you know, have, have more sort of reservations about taking yourself or... Um. I don't really have any strong reservations towards either. I, I have few reservations towards the mRNA vaccine because it's such a simple design, vaccine design. Um, Violet limit can really go wrong. Um, uh, but both vaccines, I mean, we've been quite a lot of work done on both viral vectors and DNA vaccines and RNA vaccines in the last, um, the last decade, the last 20 years, really, in, in terms of DNA vaccines, looking at uh, the safety and, uh, the, and uh, what they can do. And they've a very good safety record, um, at least in studies. So, but the RNA vaccine is so simple, I have no reservations of taking that. And that's what I said. I, I wrote a Facebook post uh, in, in November about that, about sort of how I'd have much, uh, given uh, what, what I understood about the, the Moderna or the, the mRNA um, yeah. vaccines, that it just sounded really simple. And, I, and I've been aware of the technology for a while because I know uh, it was a while, while back. I know there's still phase one maybe phase two trials now looking at cancer vaccines mm. uh, that Moderna have been have been developing uh, using um, and that's mRNA um, yes. so um, and, and it's looking really really positive as well um, yes. so I was kind of aware that the, the technology has has been has 
demonstrably been shown shown to work previously. Um, so if, if the choice is given to you, if someone said to you, Justin, right, tomorrow you can have a vaccine and you can have the AstraZeneca one or you can have the uh, you have the Pfizer one, which would you have? Oh, I think my first shot would be probably the Pfizer vaccine, actually, because it looks more effective and, um, and the mRNA vaccine is relatively simple. Um, yeah. I'm not saying I wouldn't take the other one. I probably would, but this one is like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the difficulties is my understanding is the uh the the um the environment that the that they have to be held in so the one you have yeah. to have it's 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 much the, the astrazeneca one is much cheaper and, and is much easier to be refrigerated compared to the um are there any issues i know some people have, have, have raised issues around the fact that because the pfizer one has to be uh kept chilled if there yeah. are any issues in terms of um uh you know uh Keep keeping it adequately cooled and things like that could that radically affect the efficacy of the of the of the vaccine itself? Uh, okay, so let me explain why it has to be very, kept very cold. Um, RNA as a molecule is quite unstable um, in in your body. Um, it's you don't want to have RNA in your cells active all the time, so the body is very good at destroying it as soon as, as soon as it's been used. It's, there's there are mechanisms in place to um, digest the whole thing to stop it having active. Um, when it's not needed to be. Um, and because of the chemical structure of RNA, it's prone to um, degrade it generally in, in, in the atmosphere as well. Um, if, if it, um, there used to be a joke in the labs, if, you, if you're working with RNA and you start it wrong, it'll degrade. So in order to prevent that happening, it has to be kept very cold. So if it's, if it's freeze-thawed a lot, or if, it's, if, it's, if the temperature's increased and it, um, the molecule degrades, it'll be less effective. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, that's good. That's 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 helpful. Thank you. Um, I guess a few sort of. Um, oh, actually, no. I know what question I was going to ask. How how long do you would you estimate that you think T cell um, immunity has <laughs> last? Because uh, I guess we we there's no. I guess no one can really know. But I mean, sort of theoretically, or yeah. if there's any any precedent for it, some some somewhere. What what because I've heard sort of some people potentially saying it could be anything from just months, could be six months, um, <laughs> uh, which I think is unlikely. Um, yeah. or it could be you know 15 years or, or life, uh, which again, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know, it could possibly, I don't yeah. know. What, well, what, what's your sort of it's early stages, but there are hints, uh, so we have some hints and evidence now. Of course, early in the year in April, people are publishing articles saying that the uh, antibody responses disappear away in after three months and that was causing a bit of some concern for people which is understandable um although antibody responses aren't the entire wing of the immune system um we have some hints from first of all from SARS and also from more recently from um NMR so um it's been noted that people who at least in a small study people who recovered from SARS um have some resistance to COVID Right, that's and, interesting. And that and that was that was in two thousand and three. We also a question was asked in the summer with, uh, by some researchers investigating why it was that in countries that had MMR, um, children were less, fewer children were getting COVID and elsewhere. And it was as some studies from there suggest strongly suggest that giving the MMR vaccine um, for some time afterwards. Um, have some resistance to, to um, I'm not sure yet, but you're thinking maybe up to 10 years 
finally they have some resistance to um, COVID. Um, it's not as good as taking a COVID vaccine, but there's, there's, um, they're looking at, uh, because of some, the argument would be there's some similarities, some of the proteins in, in present MMR vaccine and some of the surface proteins in, um, in COVID that give you a little bit of cross resistance. So if, um, but that's it, both those studies, first of all, suggest that there might, there's a possibility of long-term immunity. In addition to that, there's also um, studies done this year um, on COVID that look like you have a response that lasts at least six months. So um, T cell responses and, and, and some, some antibody responses um, or B cell responses uh, last at least six months. So uh, all that gives you hope for um, potential long-term immunity. There are other questions, of course, which is what happens to the virus mutates? And if the virus mutates beyond the limits of the vaccine, then of course you want to lose immunity. Um, um, or if uh, if it recombines another virus, or um, so those two that those were complicated issues. But as the virus so, dies, so could the but not the potentially the, the the virus could mutate, but the spike protein could actually remain the same. Is that? Yeah, yeah. Is that, so um, I mean, the the virus could mutate. The spike protein could even spike protein could mutate in a way that doesn't make, make any difference to the vaccine. Uh, have a minor change, or it could mutate over time to be quite different. I mean, the spike protein could mutate be quite different. Uh, we don't, I've not seen any, um, well, potentially the mink, the mink recombination virus in Denmark, but other than that, <laughs> I've not seen any, any suggestion that there's a, there's a strain of the virus present moment that will be, that will cause problems for the vaccine. Okay. So you, so I guess some of you think that the, the evidence seems to suggest that it's going to be long-term immunity with a, it's, with a vaccine that that's, that's what you yeah. suspect. What it's, you suspect. It's optimistic in that respect. I mean, it might win after a while, but it, it's. Uh, but it, I, I'm optimistic that there'll be longer term immunity. Yes. So would would this be something that we'd have to maybe get um you know get a get another one every ten years or something like this? Um, you know, that's the unanswered question. I mean, that's the question first of all with the AstraZeneca vaccine. Would would a booster help? <laughs> um, and in terms of this, um, maybe there might be a, a requirement for a booster. Yeah. Yeah. So. There has been, is, have there been any documented cases? My understanding, there has been some documented cases of people getting um, getting COVID again. Uh, I know um, one case. One, yeah. yeah, one, okay. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. one or two cases, but yeah, yeah maybe it's just one. Um, uh, no, I mean, one, one, but I, I just know one case. So, um, so um, in, in principle, my understanding is that says more about the individual. That's 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 quite a unique, that, that would be unique um, um, rather than, go on. Yeah, so it, the person, the individual I know about was a Hong, person from Hong Kong who um, got a strain in Europe and then got a strain in Hong Kong. And now, um, or the way around, actually, got a strain in Hong Kong and then I got a strain in Europe. Now, uh, the virus did admit, so I don't know that history of his infection, but, but we do know that the, uh, so the first cases of coronavirus, uh, COVID, were uh, November last year. And, um, and we did, there was in the press, in, in noticeable, uh, that was a noticeable shift in the virus in December, January. So there was a the virus shifted structure quite markedly, and that's the second structure that then swept around the world and caused lots of problems. Um, so uh, my first guess was he might have got the earlier strain. Um, he certainly got he, so it, it certainly got two different strains of the virus um, that were different. So that's one of the reasons why I say mutation could change it. But but for since then the virus appears to be relatively stable. Um, so when, when you say strange, you mean you mean a mutation? 
Uh, yeah, sorry, mutation. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I was, I was gonna, so obviously, could you explain why? You know, why there there are several different strains? Because I know that there was, you know, a, a, you know, the, the strain in Europe is maybe slightly different in some. I know in the North America there are different strains. There is, um, I'm sure I've seen there are more more than one yeah. strain yeah, of, right. of of COVID. Um, so could you could so could you so if my understanding is correct that that's mutated in the, the virus is mutated in some ways yeah. but not in a way that not on the spike protein so we shouldn't right. be worried about um you know any vaccine not um right so so uh, rna viruses tend do tend to mutate over time and um and it's one of the reasons they mutate is because every time they copy themselves sometimes they don't copy themselves quite the way they should have done the first time so they don't so you get a very very slow change in mutation you get occasional occasional sequence changes by one or two um, nucleotides in, this whole, in the, the whole genome. Um, and that causes slow change in the virus. Now, with the spike protein, which is, which is the protein that the virus uses to attach to cells using the, what they call the AS2 receptor on cells, um, if it changes too much, it won't be able to bind to that receptor anymore. So there are limits within which it can change. It has to, it has to be able to change in a way that still bind to receptor if it changes at all. Um, so that puts some limits on its changes. So but viruses do change naturally. So uh, when you look around the world you will see slightly different strains around the world of the virus. But ostensibly most of the viruses is still functional and the same. Um, another way it can change, though this hasn't happened yet for the virus, thank goodness, is it can actually uh, recombine with another virus. Um, so um, but that's that's unlikely event but it, it's possible. That's what happens in terms of influenza. Yeah, that that sounds catastrophic. I don't want to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> what What are the chances of of the spike protein actually mutating? Is there sort of um, the previous examples of where a spike protein has changed on a virus, or was that are there, are there parts of a virus that are more likely to mutate than than others? Give us some um, hope about about uh, the spike protein not mutating. Oh, I think spike spike protein has mutated. We've seen it mutate. But um, the uh, but it, but the question is whether it mutates enough to make the vaccine effective. Um, and if and if that and what's actually an advantage of the RNA vaccine is you can change it very quickly. Right. If the vaccine if the vaccine then if the virus then changed enough, you go oh it's changed. You can very quickly write a new sequence of the RNA vaccine to to right to change it. Yeah. This is what I so I'm so fascinated about mRNA vaccine because it just sounds like. Um, this is, you know, it's been terrible, but for vaccine development, for it, it's probably the best thing that could have happened. In a, and I, I mean that just specific to the development. Yeah. I'm, I'm in no way saying it's anything yeah. is good about it. But, um, you know, it sounds like it's a real game changer in terms for the future in terms of like yeah, if, yeah. if it really is works, you know, we in principle, there should be, you know, we should be able to develop mRNA vaccines for a number of, of at least viruses that don't mutate extremely quickly like HIV. I mean, would can an mRNA virus be, could be effective against those faster mutating viruses or is that just out of the question, do you think? Mm, that's a question. I, I, HIV, it mutates so quickly um, that it's, 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 a, it's a whole different level of difficulty. Yeah. Um, not saying it's impossible, but there are a lot of, a lot of challenges um, to an HIV vaccine. Um, huge number of challenges HIV vaccine actually. Um, so um, um, yeah, I mean people have been talking about developing one for a long time, and it's, it's proven struggle. 
yeah yeah it's one of the ones i keep seeing i saw a meme a couple of days ago saying basically said um um anti-vax meme saying that you know we've had cancer for 100 years we've got no vaccine we've had trying to do everything we can for hiv for, for since not you know, early 1980s so don't have a vaccine uh, mm -hmm. and yet covid arises and a few months later we've got we've got a vaccine yeah. um yeah. so um which is silly because i mean there's so much wrong with that like you said you know hiv is not comparable to current, so, you know, uh, two, two things that are problematic one is Every single, really, every single time it divides or multiplies, it's mutating. It, it, it's got um, the proteins involved in, in copying itself don't work very well to its advantage, so it changes constantly, and that in itself just a whole nightmare. Um, the the mechanism through which it binds to cells, um, the, the the target for vaccines is just a difficult target to get into. Um, it's, it's proven, um, but there are drugs now that are very effective. So the um, yeah. Anti-retrovirals. I mean, you can basically keep your viral load yeah. so low yeah. that you can't. You, it's, it's impossible to almost pass it on. I think it's impossible to pass it on. I think there've been some recent studies looking looking at that, which is great. I mean, so it's not. It's no longer. A, you know, it hasn't been a death sentence for over a decade um, yeah. now, at least. So, I mean, that's 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 pretty good. I mean, the the cancer one I pointed out is that well, um, the technology. Uh, there's already phase one trials for cancer vaccines from Moderna, the very company that's that's developed the um you know the covid vaccine as well so uh that's a pretty solid response to a um you know pretty ignorant um meme the vaccines are cancer is what cancer as a whole again quite different um yeah because cancers can be very individual to a person who's got this cancer you have um so you've got that technology called the car t technology now which is you can spend half a million dollars on and have um immunotherapy to your specific cancer yeah um, yeah but that's a, it's a difficult treatment mm. So what I want to try, I mean, we've talked quite a bit about, about how the, the vaccines work and, and RNA and things like that. Um, I've got a, a few sort of questions more related to scepticism and, and sort of anti-vax sort of claims I've heard, I've heard recently. Um, one is that, um, can, that, I, that I've heard, again, lots of people have said this to me, that uh, they're very worried about um, you know, what's the sort of credibility that an mRNA uh, vaccine can make you infertile. That's one I've heard recently. <laughs> and what and what would be the mechanism? Because I couldn't understand the mechanism of how exactly that would work. Um, but people have said, where, I don't even know where that came from, something that people thinking that you can be infertile. Yeah, I've, I, I came across that, uh, not specifically the RNA vaccine, I came across that, I think, originally in a, in, a, in a post against, which company was it? Some other company, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and um, there's no chance a vaccine can produce medicine to make it infertile. I believe that Reuters actually, the news agency, have done a really good job at, uh, and I would look at some of the articles because they've done a brilliant job at sort of finding the sources of some of these claims. Um, uh, and I believe the origins of that come from the fact that, uh, uh, I don't know, about 30 years ago, a group of Indian scientists were investigating uh, treatments, vaccine treatments against testicular cancer. Uh, or against, so, and they, they tried to target some. Um, male hormones to act as, a, as, a, as, a, as a way to attack uh, that cancer and that would of course cause potential infertility but none of those components are in any of these vaccines it's, it's literally it, it's it, it's impossible um at least i can't think of any biological mechanism through which it can happen <laughs> yeah but it's it's I've, I've i just keep hearing these they just seem to get like they get wild like i'm 
yeah. I think one of the things that's really frustrating for me is I have you know good friends and family members and stuff that will listen, and you'll have you basically the, all the videos start off the same. They'll have um, you know a doctor or a scientist just laying out their um, their list of credentials. You know, I went to this you know, <laughs> part, you know this medical school. I've been I've done this for this year. I've worked for this company. I've been a professor yeah. here for a, you know for two decades and things like that. And then you think, oh, okay, well, maybe maybe they've got something sensible to offer. Maybe this is, you know, le legitimate concerns. And then they just start saying stuff that's just crazy. Yeah. But it lends credibility. And, that, yeah. and that's the thing is that, um, um, you know, historic, well, I mean, even, even, even before the internet, but most of, the, most of the, the information we get in terms of the you know, knowledge that we get is from authorities. Like, you know, we can't be experts on everything. Uh, and yeah. so, you know, we defer to authorities. You know, this person seems like they have the credentials of someone I should trust. Yeah. So if my doctor says something, you know, I trust my doctor that has he has my best interest. Uh, he or her have my best interest yeah. at heart. And and I can trust what they, they say. Yeah, all right, you have this wrong. You should take this medication. Um, but what where that goes wrong now is you have, um, you know, the, that there's such variation in, in humans and expertise that you can get, you know, you get doctors and scientists who have good credentials, but there's, there are extremes. You've got, you know, on one hand, you've got these people who are all very sensible and these other people who are just kooks, but are intelligent because being act, being, being against, uh, uh, you know, being anti-vaccine, uh, it doesn't mean you're not, a, you're not an intelligent person, no, but something that's gone wrong in terms of, um, you know the the process and identifying and sifting information for what's reliable and and and, and not reliable, um, but the the problem is 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 the videos online allow people to present themselves as an authority and someone who should be trusted, but actually what they're saying is kooky. Absolutely true, and I think my, my advice to anybody, uh, I mean, is if you can look at the peer reviewed literature. Um, some of it's going to be difficult and technical, but but many of the medical journals are um, sort of British Medical Journal, The Lancet, Uni Journal of Medicine are a little easier to to read. At least you read the abstract, the summary. Um, there have been actually there've been a number of reports in the scientific media about um, the origins of um, misinformation, and there's been some concern that even states um, bodies responsible for some of it. And certainly, there's been a lot on Facebook, and there's been lots on some of these charities. And it is sad. Uh, it is very sad to see people that have um, lists of credentials that then say things that you go, "What?" Um, and I've seen some of the tendencies that I've seen are to use a lot of jargon um, because jargon, using jargon, can cover up um, or can scare you or can cover up the fact that what you're saying is nonsense. Um, and so I've seen language of exosomes, PCR, I don't know, um, DNA mutations, those sort of language. Um, uh, but and check out if you if you, if the peer review journals are too difficult, check out Reuters because Reuters are a good news agency and they and they, and they do make a lot of effort to try and uh, sift through the BBC or whichever credible news agency you find. I, I, I am concerned also that there's a lot of uh, um, distrust generally of um, of mainstream media or of media outlets, and and some reasons why. But uh, at the same time, I think we need to be. Um, careful. And also, I guess, personal stories sell. So if you do see a case, um, somebody who's reacted very badly to something, that story sells for a very strong message, whereas leading statistics doesn't. <laughs> and, it's pretty, yeah. Yeah. and the thing is, there's, 
there's always been and there will always be people who are you know incredibly intelligent um and will purport you know things that are crazy um and so um that's just that's just that's just the normal spectrum of any any profession you get you know you get you know um you know cracks like Andrew Wakefield who fudged data um you know and caused so much damage even to this day you know has yeah. caused so much damage to the world through um you know through a study that's basically you know falsified uh, and scared a lot of people um into giving their children vaccines so um yeah it's yeah. um Andrew, Andrew is staggering a lot of damage and still does to this day from from what was a paper published that was utterly false made up um however the two positive things came out of that um <laughs> um that it did make people think very carefully once again about what components are in vaccines and whether and whether they should be reconsidered so uh, while i um why i am i think very frustrated at, at what happened in the aftermath of of andrew wickfield's um fraud really um it to be positive about it it did look at so it's a reassessment of, of vaccine components. Uh, va- the reasons, uh, so vaccines, most vaccines, um, again, this, this might sell the RNA vaccine slightly, most vaccines require not just the, um, the proteins that you want to use in the vaccine, uh, they also require something else that was called an adjuvant, something that, that will boost the immune system more generally. And um, and so in the past, they've used things like alum, alum hydroxide um, and other components. and um, the, I mean, mRNA vaccine doesn't require that because mRNA itself uh, can stimulate an immune response. Um, there's a separate in the surface of cells that will react to, it, to the presence of um, some forms of RNA. So it, it isn't itself its own adjuvant. It's not a benefit. I think this is the thing that's so frustrating because actually there's there's something really helpful about the skepticism, you know, about yeah. being skeptical and, and and raising concerns. Absolutely, we should we should you know raise concerns and and try and um, you know bring about improvements. Like you said, you know, if there are you know excipients or other you know other things that that could be potentially harmful or, or mm. um, you know could, there are you know there are better uh, things that could be used in in, uh, in instead of them, then we should try and facilitate and encourage change in the in the pharmaceutical um you know in industry um but a few a few other things i mean um again this 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 one video sticks in my mind again i can't remember the name of the name of the doctor but then as again this this list of, of credentials and then started talking about 5g um i mean just is where 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 did this where did the five do you know where the the origins of, of the 5G I, where no idea. <laughs> I, I i know that people are concerned generally about 5g it's been it's been there's been a number of um, what I'm going to call conspiracy theories about 5G for at least a year now, and people taking yeah. down 5G. Um, and the concern of that 5G in itself might be a mutagen that might damage your DNA on it. But it's it's not actually the frequency that that, that it, it's in. It's nowhere near there that will be damaging to the human, human body. Um, yeah. So but I don't know where the where 5G coronavirus came yeah. from. <laughs> but again, I mean, with 5G, again, that's where people should be, um, you know, if there are concerns, you know, because sometimes I think, you know, if someone just suddenly you look outdoors and someone's put a 5G, you know, 30 foot <laughs> hole outside your house, you yeah. know, I think it's perfectly normal to have concerns. You know, is that going to have you know, yeah. health, you know, health uh, impact Absolutely. on me and my family and things like that? Because, yeah. you know, you know, we haven't all done the, the research and we know that there's, you know, there's historical precedent for 
uh, things that were intended for good that actually turned out to be harmful. So I think it's always it's always good That's to right. have those, my, uh, my those reservations. This is more my experience than um, the truth necessarily, but many of the better scientists are the ones that just stay in the background and say anything they just because they like to look at the data and weigh it up. And sometimes people at the front are saying the polemical stuff for the ones that um, that get the most voice. Um, and yeah. those that are more reasonable or say, well, actually, it's not like that. Are the people that don't like being in public and stay in the background. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, another one that a really popular one is, I think, um, that I've that I've seen is, uh, you know, does mRNA vaccine actually change your your DNA? That's another one that I've 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 heard, um, yeah. yeah, quite. Uh, yeah, that's not a question. No, it can't. It can't. This, um, uh, because RNA is chemically different to DNA, it's actually impossible for RNA to uh, get into your, your your DNA. It can't do it. It's not, it's it's an impossible. It's impossible chemically. Um, yeah. See, I think what people mean, I'm not, I, I think there's some confusion. So it doesn't, you know, it's clear that the, the mechanism of RNA, yeah. it, it can't affect DNA. It doesn't change yeah. your DNA. I think yeah. what people mean is it's changing the body. And uh, that's, that's fine. Maybe, yeah. maybe I, I'm trying to be as charitable as I can. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. maybe that's yeah. what people mean is it's, it's changing the body in a yeah. way. Um, so it's not changing your DNA, yeah. but that is the nature of all vaccines and, and, and um, yeah. you know, in, in, in a way, because if they, um, you know, if you develop, you know, T cell, um, you know, immunity to, to to a disease, then that's that has changed your body, but it hasn't changed your DNA. You're fundamentally the same person with the same, you know, forty six yeah. chromosomes that you had you had before. Yeah, um, yeah but, I, that's my question. but it's think think of it a little differently. Think just think if you you naturally get the coronavirus infection, that the coronavirus binds to your cells, injects its its, its RNA into your cells, it replicates, develops a, a cycle of a virus multiplying inside your cells. That's much more, that's, that's going to have a much more effect in terms of its, its, um, its biology than just putting one component of it into your cells. So um, into, into cells that are run, it will be in the muscles, so it will be in a limited area, whereas um, coronavirus natural infection could be uh, quite covered. Because the coronavirus can affect not just cells alone, it can affect the cells, the brain, kidneys, liver, Quite, quite widespread infection if you ever get serious. Yeah, I yeah. think that's what a lot of people fail to, to think, of, especially when people are un, sort of um, maybe underplay the seriousness of COVID. Is that you know I know what we've learned recently, and I think we've, even since August or September that um, you know that there's there can be variants in the severity that was observed depending because there is a sort of genetic component to it. So certain people with certain um, genes are, are much more likely to experience a more um, severe um, disease process compared to, to many others. So for some people, yeah, they get a, a cold, a temperature and a headache and other people are in, you know, intensive care and, you know, renal failure and respiratory failure and, and, you know, and, you know, perhaps end, 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 end up dying. Um, so how, how would that work? Now, why, why would, you know, anything about that? You know, why would some people get a more severe, severe response to others? Or was that? Well, look, so, um, there are a number of reasons why people might have a more severe uh, outcome from COVID. Um, what the simple, most simple one is how much COVID they got in the first place. So, right. if they got one virus particle in themselves, it'll create an immune response and create an infection. It'll take some time for it to get going, and then the body will probably kill it off before it can do anything. And then you've already got an immune response. Um, if you've got a large dose of it, let's say you're working in a hospital and you're continually meeting patients who are breathing in your face. 
um, then um, that's, that's one factor in itself that could result in a poor outcome. Um, another factor would be um, urobiology. Um, so we know that, um, or actually your diet as well. So, um, um, so whether your diet is giving you a proper balance of nutrients that, that keep your immune system healthy. Um, so the vitamin D's and zinc were very important in the natural diet. Um, uh, it could be because you're, the receptor that, you, that the virus binds to in your body, the AS2 receptor, um, everyone's got their own little form of it, and some forms um, make, it, make it easier for the virus against your body than others, so that can affect it. Um, uh, you're, again, going back to vitamin D, the, uh, the, recept the receptors, vitamin D receptor in your body could have different forms, which can uh, make it more or less likely for you to get it. And, and also, there's your immune system itself has um, different variations in it, and the variation in the immune system, which can be can be actually cross populations, can also change how you might react to the virus. Um, and we know age is a factor. And, you know, people that are older, particularly over 60, 70 years old, are more likely to have a severe outcome. Yeah. I'm sure I read something today. I was reading a Nature paper about uh, type one interferon and and how. Um, you know, if you, if you have a genetic mutation that uh, related to that, that you yeah. have, that you're in the sort of, you're, you're very likely to have one of the uh, sort of bad outcome with. Absolutely. With yeah. And that one of the So the interferon response is a, is a natural anti, antiviral response your body has. So if you've got um, mutations in interferon genes or changes in the genes, they can seriously affect your, your ability to react to a viral infection. Yeah. Okay, another another one I've 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 heard quite a lot of, and, and again, someone who's sort of uh, quite active in sort of pro life philosophy and things. I'm um, sort of thought about these things before, but um, a lot of people are concerned about not wanting a vaccine because of the involvement of fetal cells. So specifically, sort of HE K two nine three cell line. Now I've heard things from people, a lot of misfit people. That, there's groups of people that think that there are fetal cells in the actual vaccine itself, yeah. which is absolutely yeah. not true. Yeah. Um, and then there's um, there's others who are, are aware that in many of the vaccines, if not all, most or, or, or all, have used uh, a fetal cell line in uh, in its in in development. Yeah. So could you could you tell a little bit about you know why do we use fetal cells in vaccine uh, development, um, and why do some use them but some don't? Um, it would just it would be interesting to get a bit of background yeah. talk, talk about the ethics of that a little bit, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, so two nine three cells, as, as are probably become more widely known, um, origi originate from um, cells taken from a fetus in the early seventies, and as those cells were taken and grown in cell culture. So what the fetus was um, the walking fetus. Cells were grown in cell culture, and then they were um, transformed, which means they were made immortal um, by 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 various means in the lab, basically. Now. And since then, they've been grown as immortal cells. Uh, now, the reason why they're, they're extremely widely used, that cell line is um, very, very widely used in, in, in biomedical science. Um, and in fact, I would, although I couldn't be certain, I would say most cell biologists have used that cell line, even if they're they not aware of the origins of the cell line. When many people, I'm not sure that all cell biologists will be aware of the origin of the cell line. They'll just turn up on their desk at the cell line, or, and they'll go, oh, okay. Or I might have a different name because um, sometimes they've got brand names because they've been the 293 cell line itself has been um, uh, modified to do other things. So um, some cell lines will be called a particular brand name, and you go, oh, you've got cell line and not know its origins. Um, 
it's one of the reasons it's very widely used is that um, it's quite a well characterized cell line. Um, the, the cells themselves, um, it, it's very easy to get genetic material into them. And one of the one of the difficulties you have in working in cells in a lab is getting your your if you're going to do tests on genes, it's getting the gene into the cell in the first place. And the turnentry cell line is, is a cell line that's very easy to get DNA into or RNA into, whatever. So um, that makes them just a, an ease, and they're quite big cells, so it makes it quite nice candidate to work with, generally speaking, and do, and do initial tests in, in them, and they're easy to grow. Um, on top of that, there have been, been a number of people who've modified the cell line to produce, um, to, for research into viral vectors, whether they're retroviral vectors or, in this case, adenovirus vectors. So they are, cell lines are modified in a way that some of the components of the, of the virus are produced in the cells themselves. Um, so that any particles of virus coming out of the cells won't be able to divide, there won't be active viruses because they're assembled inside the cell and the, 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 it requires the cell to be there, the 23 cells to be there for the, for the components of the virus to come together. Um, without the cell line there, nothing can happen. So the, the cell lines, because it was, it was derived from cells from apophysis, um, the cells now don't really resemble um, the kidney cells they originated from. They're just, just a kind of amorphic cell line. Um, um, and um, yeah, and for that reason, I, I, I couldn't be certain every single vaccine manufacturer has used them, but I think um, I think a lot of studies that have been done in COVID and cell lines have used this cell line. Uh, looking at it. People initially looked to see what cells COVID would infect, actually, and that was one of the cell lines that was chosen. Um, and then people took that cell line and gave it, say, um, the S2 receptor, so that it would be more easier to infect that cell line. So it's been used very well in development. Yeah. So are, are there alternatives that could be used? Um, um, and and if there are, why why aren't they they widely used? Because some uh, fact, I know I know some vaccines haven't haven't used. I'm not necessarily. I'm not sure about the COVID ones. But, uh, although I did I read something about a Japanese one wasn't using didn't use fetal cells in development but i'm not i'm not sure there's at least i'm sure there's at least one in covid one but sort of vaccines more more generally why you know why don't they use alternatives if if, if there well, are so there are so cell lines come from usually um cell lines that that, that are used in labs have to, have to be immortalized cell lines so they come they often come from tumors they come from uh, occasionally come from an aborted fetus um um there are a number of options for cell lines. You could use um, primary cells, the cells taken straight from someone's body, but they don't they don't survive very long. You can you can use them so far, and then they quickly lose their functionality. So it makes them difficult to do long term experiments with and make this kind of reproducible. Um, there are a few other cell lines that have been used, and I I but I have to go and look at what cell lines would be actually useful <laughs> um, in terms of um, can be infected by 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 COVID. And, and can be used for, st for studies in terms of uh, whether proteins are expressed in COVID and, and response to it. So, but it's, it's one of the most, it's, it's used because one of the most convenient cell lines to use. I think that's basically the result, the reason. So, uh, I mean, in, in reality, this, this, they're not going to be, it sounds like they're going to be continued to use for, to be used for the foreseeable future with that. I think two and three cell lines will be, will be used very widely around the world for the foreseeable future, yes. No. Okay, since so you said that you would be willing to have the vaccine. So how how do you kind of ethically navigate um, the fact that uh, aborted fetal cells are used in in its de development process? Yet you're uh, you you'd be you would you would accept the vaccine. 
yes, and our clinic, I would, um, and, uh, and of course, it probably went, went around a Christian. So what my positions in terms of taking the uh, vaccine developed from cells originating in the port fetus. I mean, I, I think the fact that abortion took place is a, is a tragedy. Um, um, however, uh, from my perspective, that's not something that I can change whether or not I have the vaccine. Um, that that uh, whether or not now whether the cells were whether the vaccine produced in the cells, or whether those cells were used during the development of the vaccine, um, to me are morally equivalent, and because they were used at some point in the development, and but I cannot go back and I'm not going to have any I'm not going to be condoning um, use of abortion, nor am I going to uh, but nor can I change that going forward. Now, no kind of event that happened, that that happened, no kind of event, future abortions happening by my actions. So um, I don't have an ethical problem taking this vaccine. Yeah, yeah no, it's good. I mean, I've always thought that the, the analogy would be um, if, say, a, a child was killed for some reason, you know, uh, by, a, by a parent, um, but they were, or, you know, murdered by someone, and but they were an organ donor. Yeah. Uh, the mere fact that you accepted an organ from from someone i know in the case someone's uh, it gets a bit murky maybe when you start to talk about uh, the the let's say we're in an opt-out system an opt-out system of, uh, of organ donation um and um uh you know someone is murdered uh and by receiving that that organ donation donation from someone the the fact that you accept it is not tarnished by the fact that you're not you're not condoning the murder of that person by accepting um, uh, uh, being the recipient of, a, of an organ from someone in the same way that by by utilizing the the those the cells um, from from an aborted fetus you're in no way condoning abortion abortion is wrong um, um, but we live in a world where in many countries uh, it is legal in the country those cells were taken that, that abortion happened was was legal mm -hmm. um, and those those cells were taken and you know there is um, you know significant moral proximity you know we're not morally proximal to that act there's nothing like you said there's nothing we can do to change the evil that occurred um, but uh, we are um, you know that good can come from that death you know there was an unjust death but good can come out of it and 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 the world in many ways is is the you know with the benefactors of, of of that but in no way you know condoning um you know no abortion and as i said in the same way that you know accepting an organ from someone um you know who was murdered doesn't mean you're condoning um the murder of that that person but you're benefiting from an, an unjust uh death Yes. That's kind of what I think. I think about yeah. it. Sure and, and I thought when the issue came up, I also thought um, more widely about what knowledge we have gained and made use of situations that in the past have been morally hor horrific. Um, yeah. Whether that was during the war and human experimentation that was done during that period or afterwards, um, or before, um, in some cases, um, looking at um, medical effects of, of, on people who were prisoners. Um, or whatever, and so th there was issue. And these are, these are important issues and issues that I think need to be brought up. And it's right we have those voices um, because we have to continue question these issues. But I think in this particular case, I, I don't feel any more qualms taking the vaccine. Yeah, I think it's a good question to raise. Like, like here's the thing: like, some people are uncomfortable talking about. But I just think no, it's good. We, we need to talk about it yeah. because because um, it's a good question. You know, why are we using 
you know, aborted fetal cells. And, you know, we have to, we have to really talk about it because I think when we don't, um, if it's, if it's just a, um, an instantaneous sort of impulsive response to it, we'd be like, well, oh, we'll use the aborted fetus as a I'm against abortion, so I can't mm -hmm. do that. But actually we have to think, we have to think about these questions more, more deeply um, and, and, and reasonably and think actually this actually, yeah, that that death was bad, um, but that's not uh, it's not enough to to justify not not utilizing um, vaccines. Mm -hmm. And I think, like like you said, I mean, the, historically, the um, you know what has sped up medical and scientific development exponentially has always been war. Mm. It's always been death and 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 violence, and we we've all benefited. Each and every single one of us has benefited from um, you know from war um and, and and violence um you know uh, you know my own areas you know in uh, in the operating in perioperative care you know and surgery uh the main driver of surgical uh, advancement and medical advancements has always been war um and conflict so we're we're, we're it's you know the th part of being human is especially you know morally it's just everything is meshed with good and evil it's so hard to um to, un to distach, uh, dis to unattach yourself from from um, you know and try and live unattached from past moral evils and and things like that and and um, you know injustice and things like that. But um, yeah, um, I guess I'm trying to I've got a few more questions before before we finish. Up. I was hoping we get some more questions. It's a bit bit light on the on the <laughs> so so far. I think I've asked the ones that have come up. I was hoping we'd have people who were. Um, you know, oh, there was a question, wasn't it? At least I saw in the chat about um, low-income countries and what's going to happen with low-income countries. Oh, yeah, that'll be that'll be a good one. Yeah. So, what what um, you know, how is uh, it fair that, that, that the West again benefits uh, from from vaccine development and what? Yeah, what about sort yeah. of? Um, so, so I mean, so the different obviously different vaccine candidates are now being produced in the number of, and the. As we mentioned earlier, the RNA vaccine has to be kept at a very low temperature, nine seconds degrees. And that makes that vaccine more difficult logistically to transport to countries where there are not good um, refrigeration techniques or freezing techniques. That doesn't mean the end of the story. So, um, and somebody asked what the church be doing. And I, I would ask more I'd ask further than that, what should Christians be doing? Not just, not, not just what should Christians be saying, but what should we as Christians be, be doing to help the situation? Now, there are a number of international organizations um, that have, um, WHO being one, um, but others who have, who have committed to, to um, huge number of vaccine doses to try and help of different, different sources to try and help countries, the, the, the uh, low-middle-income low countries through get vaccines, through supply vaccines. And also, we have to ask the question, how can we improve logistics so that those countries can receive, um, have an option of receiving different vaccines. So the, the AstraZeneca vaccine is, is more stable. It can be, can be kept in the fridge. So that's, that's easier to, to transport, but of course we have to optimize its, um, its efficacy. Um, and the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines have to be kept very cold. So there's a need probably to um, find means which they can be distributed cold and drives or whatever but but as to what christians can get very involved with this i think it's not it's important i think not just to shout from the edges um it's very easy to criticize others for what they're not doing uh, but i think what's important is to get involved with helping whether you then 
say, okay, I'm concerned about these issues. How about I um, give money towards an organization that is actually helping to provide vaccines? I mean, uh, the Bill Gates Trust is thing they've put in funded, Roman Gates Foundation. Overall, this year, put in 1.75 billion towards uh, development the COVID response, including money specifically towards giving vaccines toward, to the third world. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's in the COVAX initiative, isn't it? I think yeah. involves maybe like 80 countries who are providing, yeah. um, you know, funding for vaccines um, for another 70 odd countries, I think. Correct, yeah. Um, I think, yeah. So, so yeah, it, it, it seems like actually, um, I mean, it, 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 doesn't seem unfair for the fact that the, it's, it's West, the West largely has funded the research. So obviously, I think it's you know, it, no one would understand it as being unjust. I think for us to be the, the initial benefactors of of, of that, um, but absolutely, we need to get the vaccines out to to um, you know countries that are not so um, you know fortunate economically. And um, you know, I was sticking back to development of HIV therapy. So in in the nineteen ninety seven, I think the year was when combinatorial HIV therapy came in, therapy was the first distributed around the world. One of the questions then the world was asking was, well, these drugs are very expensive. You know, you're spending $25,000 a year on, on the treatment for one individual um, to receive antiretroviral therapy. How is it possible that those who are suffering from HIV in Botswana or Malawi or other countries um, can, receive, can possibly afford those drugs? So there was a lot of effort putting in by, by various activists and, and to try and say, can those pharmaceutical companies offset the costs? So the cost of anti-retroviral therapy is much cheaper in Africa, actually. They're, they're, uh, the cost per patient is considerably reduced to try and get the drugs out to those who need it. And the West, is, the prices are a bit higher in order to try and offset the costs. So there's, I think, also um, need to think about... Um, are you willing to sacrifice? Well, we should be willing to sacrifice some of some of the cost for us, so that those who cannot get it can can be can conceive the vaccines. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like the Covax and and a number of things that are that are ongoing as well. I think that um, it's as good as it could be. I think it looks really positive in terms for a lot of uh, a, a lot of countries around the world. Um, so. So yeah, I think a, I think a lot is being done. I don't think too much more could be done really in terms of funding and, and agreement from a lot of um, um, a, a lot of countries uh, with with the resources to to, to fund those. Um, and uh, another issue I've heard is uh, a general sort of claim is that that people about about vaccines is that people shouldn't intervene with the sort of normal human processes, uh, yeah. and so we should just let the virus take its course, you know, and just let the, the the body is best. The immune system is great at what it does. You know, actually, we don't need to, we don't need to, to 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 try and improve it by the use of a use of a vaccine. So, how how would you respond to, to a claim like that? Well, I mean, I think we're, we're very fortunate actually to live in the age that we do live in, because in the last century or so, we haven't had to face some of the pandemics that have that have faced the world over, over the centuries. Um, we, smallpox being eradicated, um, the use of measles is greatly reduced. The, the, the Black Death no longer seems to affect many countries. So I think that takes off some of the pressure from us. But, but going back, looking at just the Bible, um, we, we know that, um, that Jesus himself intervened to heal people who were had natural affections, as did his disciples, and they were encouraged to do that by Jesus. And the, one of his disciples, Luke, was a doctor, 
And you see no criticism of his work throughout the Gospels. So I think there's biblical precedent for um, medical intervention um, for people that uh, are suffering from natural ills, the fallen world that we live in, really. And um, and I, I do think that we've, we need to think about how much blessed we are because of the rise of modern medicine in the last century. Um, we, we face so little of the diseases that were that were affecting people more, just over a century ago. Even TB in, in the West, at least TB is getting receded. Although worldwide, it's, it's still still an issue. And cholera as well. You know, not, not that oh. long ago, cholera. Um, yeah. You know, some of the plagues. You read about some of the horrendous stuff. You know, like you know, you get the you know bubonic plague would you know, get to a town or a village somewhere and it kills seventy five percent of the people that yeah. live there. You know, absolutely. Yeah savage this the stress that you must live under the fear that people would live in you know it's it's really hard to imagine um you know 75 percent of the people you know dying um you know we really like you said we really are i don't think we always appreciate the the times that we live in and the the technology that we have you know and 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 the speed of the vaccine you know covid vaccine is really you know a, a fantastic example of that of how we're you know able able to do that so so effectively and so quickly um, actually, if, if we're also lucky that that's, while COVID is a serious illness, it wasn't SARS, or it wasn't MERS that, that hit the world, because SARS had a, had, a, had a much higher mortality rate. Yeah. Um, and we would have struggled to respond to it uh, at that time so quickly as we've been able to respond to COVID now. I think the good thing about uh, SARS was that obviously I think um, people did become, by the time people were actually infectious, they were really ill, so they tended yeah. not to be um, be, be exactly. around other, other other people. I mean, going going back to the sort of intervening in normal human processes. I mean, uh, as I said, we we do that all the time. You know, we wear shoes and clothes to facilitate you know homeostasis and and uh, yeah. and, and normothermia and things like that. So we're we're already doing it. You know, we um, you know all, all the time. Um, so uh, I have a few more questions, but I've got a question that's come up. So Rich, Richard Conway from Facebook has said, has, has COVID-19 actually been isolated yet to prove its existence? Yeah, yes, in fact, it was isolated um, by two Chinese researchers uh, soon after it's, uh, the, the disease appeared in, the, um, in, in November, December time. Uh, I think the first report was at the 8th of December, it might be, but it was going to go back earlier than that. Um, yeah, you can, January. yeah, if you want to go online, if you, if you want to search, um, COVID sequence, you'll find there uh, that there are thousands and thousands of the uh, DNA sequences that have been published of each individual virus that people are trying to track the strain. It's, the, the knowledge is, the information is public in the public realm. Um, if you want to say uh, academic database for that, you can check PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D, um, which, but that might be a little academic, but um, yeah, we've isolated it and we've, we've photographed it, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's 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 no there's absolutely no doubt, zero doubt uh, that that coronavirus, uh, COVID nineteen exists. It's been isolated very early, and that's why you know companies like Moderna were able to. I think it was literally within a few days. They uh, yeah. because of the nature of um, um, mRNA um, um, technology. I think um, uh, even within a few days, they had a vaccine sort of pretty much there. Uh, you know, in, in, in many ways. Which is which is great. It just shows the the speed and effectiveness of that technology and the the potential that it holds. I mean, we're, I mean, and one of the reasons why we were able to isolate so quickly actually was because those researchers in China who who um, first saw the disease recognised it as a coronavirus type infection, yeah. and and already had um, the tools available to um, 
to, to get at the genome. And that's a really important factor as well that a lot of people forget. It's just isolating a virus. You know, it, it was really, I don't obviously you're going to know a lot more about this, but um, it was really by accident that we were, you know, when the HIV virus um, was identified oh, yeah, yeah. in sort of the early 80s, we didn't even know retroviruses exist. Like theoretically, my understanding of the, yeah. you know, the discoverers of, of DNA didn't think it was even possible for there to be an RNA virus to exist in humans. Yeah. Um, I know I found that there was a, a cancer causing, I think it was a leukemia causing one in chickens, wasn't it? I think. It's LV, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you'll, yeah, so you'll, you'll know more about this. I'm just. Yeah. Dabbing. Yeah. No. Uh, so well, it took years, years of uh, work to isolate the cause of HIV in a number of labs around the world. One of the reasons HIV was such, such a difficult problem was that the incubation time for symptoms normally eight to 10 years. Uh, and there were, and, uh, it was a very, and it's a very slow-growing virus. It was very, very hard to find the virus particle. It took a lot of work uh, by a lot of quite, quite hard-working scientists at the time. Um, and these days, it's very easy because we just we know what it looks like. But, yeah. Um, that's they, were, they were ridiculed, weren't they? I remember, I'm sure, what was reading somewhere about how, you know, the scientists who, who even suggested there could be a retrovirus were ridiculed. They wouldn't get yeah. their papers published. Um, there's a really good... Um, episode on that for anyone who's interested on Malcolm Gladwell's podcast um oh the I can't remember something about the virus club or something like that on it's a revisionist history uh but there's a you probably really enjoy it, a really, really interesting episode on the um yeah something the virus club or something like that um and in there um I guess a few more questions unless we've got any more coming through in the next few minutes I was, I think I was, the only thing about HIV is one of the early concerns was people were saying it's toxin it's not caused by the virus it's caused by toxicosis yeah. Um, by some of the drugs, as ASAT or something else, that given. but um, these were all um, these are good questions, but they're all false leads. And again, in that time, it was spun out into a conspiracy theory in some of the in some of the news outlets. So um, we need to be careful about we step back a bit and look at. Yeah, I remember what the obscure virus club. That's what it's called. That's yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's really excellent. It really is excellent. Uh, we've got another question that's come up. So. Uh, if it has, then why, when requested to, did the government not provide proof or documentation of it? Um, so I think this is in relation to um, the, the coronavirus actually being isolated um, to prove its existence. So we said that actually it was published uh, yeah. in the late you know, December, January. So yeah. uh, if, if it has, if that's the case, what you're saying is true. And uh, then when requested, did the government not provide proof documentation of it? I'm not quite sure. I'm not aware of the government. I mean, it's, first of all, I'm not sure, not entirely sure it's the responsibility of government to provide documentation. Uh, maybe the media should should be broadcasting what information is available in the scientific press. Um, I mean, the questions that are being asked very early on in January and February were, having found the sequence of the virus and the virus, what its relationship was to other natural viruses um, in bats and other animals at that time. So, um, and it's certainly the media should have been responsible in publishing that, but they have. It's, it, it, they published the fact that it was coronavirus. I, I don't see any government government cover up in this. No, I'm not aware. I mean, it's it's an interesting question because um, it, this is all freely available. Um, yeah. You can actually look. You can look at the sequence of uh, the COVID nineteen virus online. It's freely available, open access yeah. on on uh, on peer reviewed journals, and it's been yeah. like Justin's already said. It's uh, you can look at pictures of it. Um, it's 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 just it's there. There's no there's no debate um, about its existence, um, and as, as you said, it's not the the government's the government is not hiding the existence of it. As we said, it's 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 free available. Um, 
So why why is there uh, because just Jamie, I know we touched on it earlier, but why why is there so much misinformation about vaccines? You know, what is it about vaccines that are something that we talked about is so good in terms of we don't have to worry about smallpox anymore? Yeah. We've nearly we've nearly uh, you know eradicated polio um, and, and numerous numerous other things in the pipeline. You know, cancer vaccines, as we said, Moderna in um, you know phase one research into that. And numerous vaccines that are available. So why 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 is there so much pushback? Do you think and misinformation against vaccines about something that we should be uh, celebrating? Yeah. Everyone should be celebrating, and yet there's a, a large portion of people who are not just skeptical because that skepticism is good. There's yeah. healthy skepticism, but overly um, have an unhealthy skepticism against against vaccines. I would imagine it's in part because of from medical tragedies in the past. So we know everyone's very aware of the demise tragedy that happened um, and the consequences of that. And then on the top of that, you've got the Andrew Wakefield's uh, conspiracy, really, in the, in the 90s. Um, and Could you explain a bit about that, just for people, about Andrew Wakefield and exactly why we shouldn't, I don't know if you're happy, happy to, why, why, why shouldn't yeah. we trust the, the study he said? I mean, it was um, retracted yes. uh, and... Um, and obviously, it's did a lot, lot of damage, and we're still, we're still dealing with that now. But why, why shouldn't we trust his research? What was wrong with it? So, so he published a case studies. I think it was twelve children, who he argued in the paper in the Lancet had developed symptoms of <laughs> autism as a result of having the MMR vaccine. Um, now, uh, in in the wake of the publication of that, of that article, and so it was a period of the article originally accepted. Um, it was discovered that, first of all, he had a competing interest, that it appears that he was being funded by a legal firm to find um, cases against vaccines. Um, in addition to that, the, that there was considerable concern over the fact that in the paper itself, um, the data were made up, um, that the cases studies didn't, the, the children's symptoms did not reflect uh, the truth, um, and think of a, a, a journalist, of course, John Deere, I've got his name, the journalist, but a journalist uh, um, did a very good job in following up um, and, and, and interviewing individuals in that study. Um, and, and more importantly, I think, um, is that it did stimulate people to look more widely into the vaccine, and large-scale studies were undertaken to show that, and showed no link whatsoever between autism and MMR vaccine, and there's no one who's been repeated those data. So, even if the data in that original paper had not been retracted, um, they were never reproduced. And that's one of the questions you have to ask. Whenever you see a sample paper, uh, um, in whatever that subject is, it's very important that, that those data are reproduced. Um, it's one of the first things you really have to do to show that that's a consistent effect and not just something that you saw, <laughs> whether because you did something wrong in the experiment or whether there's something abnormal about what you did or whether you made it up. Um, and um, so th th there are, I mean, the studies now have been done on tens and tens of thousands of individuals who had MMR or hundreds of thousands of individuals who have had the MMR vaccine and show no link whatsoever between that and autism. But the damage was done. And, and then I remember watching an interview or listening to an interview on the radio once between a, a woman who was very concerned that her child had developed um, autism as a result of having a vaccine and the clinician who had looked at the wider studies. Now, on an inter interview, it can seem as though those, those two sides are equally weighted because the woman's, woman's telling a very concerning story and it's very it's tragic. Whatever happened to her child, and I don't know because I don't know the case at all, um, is, is a tragedy. But that doesn't necessarily 
weigh up against the commission saying, well, actually, we look at the evidence and here's the wider evidence and we don't find any link. Whatever the cause of, of your child's disease doesn't necessarily link it to the MMR vaccine. So it is it's stories about heartfelt stories about people suffering are very tragic and they sell widely, but it doesn't necessarily show the whole picture. So I think we should be very skeptical of um, of those data. But I think it had a terrible, terrible effect on any vaccines subsequent to that. And, and um, and has been used, uh, it may have been used even by people who want to sell Discord. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, the 12 case studies, I mean, the thing about case studies is case studies are are great in many ways because they're usually the first indicator that there might be a problem. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's been examples, that, I mean, even with HIV, HIV was picked up with case studies, you know, initially yeah. with yeah. doctors identifying case studies along, I think it was the, the West Coast and, and, and elsewhere. And there's been other 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 cases where issues with uh, you know drugs that have been um, you know there's been sort of case studies about what was uh, it's completely lost my mind the one um, the um, anti sickness drug uh, morning sickness drug thalidomide um, that's okay. yeah. sorry yeah. I completely lost yeah. it. but thalidomide was another one that was picked up with uh, case studies yeah. uh, you know so I'm not against case studies I'm sure that's not, not what you're saying but. Um, you know, in this case, you know, it, it wasn't representative. And I think with a case study, it, then the good thing is it pushes you to do more research. And there's been norm, you know, enormous studies, like you said, and, and numerous system, systematic reviews that have shown that there is there is no link. So it, it's it's dead in the water. There is no link between yeah. MMR. But I think to the those who are concerned, I think sometimes the medical data doesn't get out beyond specialists. Yeah. So it's, it's not we, we see the data, we see the result. We, it doesn't get out into the media because it doesn't sell. It's, a scandal. it's not a scandal, so it doesn't sell so easily into the public media. But the information probably needs to be out more widely so people can see the um, the bigger picture. Yeah. yeah. So another question um, it's from Richard Conway again from Facebook. Good question. So he says, um, forgive me, but with the amount of censorship and fact check checkers, yeah. it's difficult to filter out truths. And I think that it, it's, it's really difficult. I think the, the problem is a really good question, Richard. The... Um, and I don't know how we're going to navigate it because um, there's so many people saying different different things. Yeah. We have to get it, it's a skill in itself knowing which sources to trust because, yeah. like I said, like we have we have we depend on a lot of the knowledge that we have from experts. You know, from from authorities, we defer to authorities. Um, and you know, if you've got a scientist or a doctor who's very you know very sounds very prestigious and and, and has, but is saying things that are are, are untrue. How you know it's very difficult to to know that. I mean, often a, a a good kind of rule is that you know if someone is in the min in a minority view, that's often in it. Not in itself, just because you know you can get people who hold minority views, and actually they turned out to be they turn out to be vindicated in 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 the long term. So that, but as a general rule, you know, if you've got you know. Um, a hundred, uh, you know, out of a hundred scientists, you've got ninety nine saying this is the case. Yeah. and you've got one saying this is not the case something else then the fact there's only one out of those people saying that would would lend you to have some skepticism towards that one person it doesn't mean they're not what they're saying is yeah. not true but we should we should have a healthy skepticism towards that person but what what's what's happened what's, i don't know why why that's happened but we some people are tend to, cannot can put the trust in the the one person rather than the um rather than the 99 yeah yeah 
Well, that is the case. People, I, mean, I think, I when think it comes people, to, yeah. people see the fear and they think, well, that that that, that could be me. I mean, you, you see the you see the, the you see the potential side, and I guess it's the allergic responses in these two individuals that got the COVID vaccine, um, and you see that could be me. So that that immediately your fear response goes off, and it, so it and um, and one of the dangers, of course, of looking at even the peer review literature is that there's so many peer review articles on COVID. Um, there's a lot of papers out there, almost thousands now, mm. um, that you could find that one paper that's giving some potential danger and read that as if that's the whole picture. So I think my, if I've got any advice at all, would be look at Reuters, first of all, because because their usage is a little bit distanced from some of it, and, they have, and they will look widely. Um, if you're going to look at a peer-reviewed article, try and look at review, look at review articles, because they tend to give a step back and try to bring a lot of the data together into one article. Um, or talk to people who are um, working in the field, working in the area, if you, if you get the opportunity. I don't know, this, it's, not, it's not easy. I think if you wanted to go on Google and just Google it, you have to read quite widely to see the whole picture. Yeah. I mean, things like things that are usually, uh, again, not the blogs and things like that, but, but websites that are not, um, you know, things that are not peer reviewed, you know, like threads in forums. You yeah, know, not can be great sources of information, yeah, but yeah. they're not. Uh, they're often full of a lot of unreliable information as well. So I yeah. think, like you said, when it when it comes to questions of medicine and science, that the the best thing to look at is a systematic review. Because yeah. if if you think about evidence as a, as a as a kind of pyramid, they talk about a hierarchy of evidence. So at, at the bottom of that hierarchy of that pyramid, you would have something like a case study, an individual case that might just look at one case. But when you look at a systematic review, a systematic review collates um, all of the all of the research uh, and the studies that have been done on one answering one particular question, and summarizes those studies. It 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 looks at the integrity of each of those studies and will rate them, um, and will give you an answer based on all the existing research. So if you and 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 often you can just get you the information you just from reading the abstract. You don't have to read the study. You just look sure. at the abstract and look at the conclusion. And that that information is going to be better than probably almost anything that you can that you can find. And yeah. I mean, the difficulty, um, you know, one of the, the problems with sort of um, you know academia is that um, it's often behind a paywall. The, the whole study, but abstracts are usually available. So True. I think you know, like if you if you really want to look into a question, especially stuff around COVID and vaccines, is yeah. is is uh, look through something like PubMed and and look or Google Scholar. And read the abstracts of systematic reviews. Yeah. That's about as good. Very as as lucky, actually. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of the COVID publications have been open free. access. So yeah. open access, which is, which is makes it um, makes it brilliant this year, actually. For, for and, and just say, just so you confirm, because there's some skepticism around you that you have. Uh, you don't work for Cambridge University, do you? No, I don't. No, no. I don't. Not work for what was you, you studied at Cambridge University? Uh, I, I did work at Cambridge University for a while. I did a postdoc there um, ten years ago. Um, I did study, also study theology at Cambridge University, but I do not no longer work for Cambridge University now. So you, you're not you're not benefit, benefiting financially from anything. I don't benefit at so. all. No, I, I have no link to anything to do with vaccine. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just I'm only talking because um, my experience in uh, immunology just made me concerned about some of the conspiracies that were arising. Yeah, uh, and I and I asked you as well. I think that's the main thing as I yeah. asked you. Um, okay, another, another question just coming. Thank you, Richard, for these questions. They are they are helpful. Um, okay, so why why are the governments of the world pushing this vaccine so hard for something that's not exactly deadly to most people? Well, so it, it is true. Most people 
get a lot of demand infection. But a significant number don't. A significant number get end up, with, I think it's 10% roughly, end up in severe hospital care in the UK. Um, and um, and it, it is, uh, I think the current mortality rate suggests about three times mortality rate of influenza, which is quite significant. Um, we do vaccinate against influenza, remember, every year. Um, it's recommended people that are at high risk get the influenza vaccine because influenza in itself is quite, can be quite dangerous. Um, and this vaccine, so there are a number of, number of concerns. One is you're benefiting not only potentially yourself, but also the community around you, preventing those at a high risk from uh, developing severe disease. Um, and I think also there's uh, a question of if, if the virus is allowed to freely roam in the environment without any attempt made to prevent it um, spreading, it gives it more chance for it to mutate, more chance for it to um, become potentially more severe. I'm not saying it will, but um, it's just not a good virus to have kicking around in the environment, in my opinion. And, and bear in mind that 10% of the population going to hospital care is a lot of people. And it's, it, that's, that's a quite a strain. If that happened at one time, it's a big strain on a, on a health service anywhere in the world. I think one one of the things as well is if if we if we theoretically we thought about we did nothing so we just said look everyone go and live um, how how you were before yeah and we'll do nothing the the surge you would get from that in hospitals oh horrific it would be would be uh, would be would be horrific and yeah. that, that that is a fact that is a fact it's horrible I don't want to be yeah. at home I don't want to yeah. be at home doing it. I haven't seen anyone for months yeah. um, other than my kids and my and my wife I don't want to I don't want to be doing it. But um, you know, it, there there is there is benefit in 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 doing that and restricting contact with people. If as I said, if you did nothing, not only do you have to worry about the the deaths of people from COVID, which fortunately we're getting much better at treating. You know, um, you know, for, during the one of the things about the the lockdown that was beneficial is it it basically meant that hostels were were not absolutely flooded with people with COVID because. Um, we didn't know how to treat the disease very well. You know, there's so many things we learned. If you look at dexamethasone, which we use yeah. all, all the time, um, yeah. cuts the rate of death, I think, by 33% in those with the most serious, um, uh, most serious COVID. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Now that that's yeah. that's great, and we were only able to discover that because we, you know, we were given the we had had the time to do that, and the lives that have been saved like that will be will be you know several you know hundreds yeah. and thousands of lives will be saved. By, by that development. At the early stages of COVID, we, what we had, we had experience of SARS. And, and after the aftermath of SARS, people did actually try and the antiviral drugs in tissue culture against SARS to see if any would be effective. And so the early surge of drugs looking at effectiveness, efficacy of drugs in humans, uh, were trying some of those drugs already tried in SARS. Um, that's where hydroxychloroquine came from, because that had been already tried yeah. in SARS. Um, and and looking at so there was a but we didn't know anything we we, we were we were making educated guesses um, yeah. based on our past experience but it's taken a long time to really kick up the um, medical care and if, mm. if we had a huge surge of patients in the UK in in March and April we would be in really trouble well, it's unnecessary deaths because what happens what yeah. people forget so say it's the unnecessary death so if you you know the when you're dealing with the NHS you're dealing with limited resources. Okay, yeah. so you only have limited ITU beds. So if you if you just yeah. let if you just let if you just let everyone live as they do uh, as as they were, people would just die. Not because they're because they 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 couldn't they, they literally people would die because they literally there are no beds for them to be treated, yeah. and there are not enough qualified people to care for them. Yeah. It would it would have been uh, horrendous. So actually, as much as I don't like 
lockdown and um, I don't yeah. even like the term because even lo- lockdown is something you do for people in prison. I don't like the, the term, but it but it but it expresses what we needed to do. Yeah. Um, but um, it the, 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 it would have been horrendous. And the same now, if we don't if we don't do anything, we're already seeing since we've we've come out of that four week lockdown, cases are already going to start to go up. Uh, winter is horrendous as it is in hospitals. Yeah. So that I we worked in uh, you know hospitals for for uh, you know uh, nearly a decade, and um, and you know the intensive care units are just filled with people with respiratory viruses throughout the winter, not including COVID. That the beds mm-hmm. are usually full. You know anyone who works in ITU, um, you know or HD or anything like that, um, uh, already. You, you, you dread winter you dread december to march you absolutely dread it mm. so adding adding covid to that um to let it one let it one free would be um i don't want to say the word but i think but it it, it, it would bad. it would be absolutely yeah. it would be a, a horrendous a horrendous yeah. thing to do um and there's an absolutely no sense there's no rationale there's no good reason the reason is there's no good reason to do that uh, and it and it and it sucks uh but uh you would get uh, tens of thousands of unnecessary deaths because uh, we we did we, we we didn't we didn't do anything and not only that see people think just count the deaths you have to think about disability so uh, if if you look into the research about the people now with uh, long term renal failure uh, renal disease uh, people with cardiovascular disease people with lung disease these are people who are going to be um, you know potentially around the world we look at millions of people with disabilities now um, who are not going to be able to function as they as they used to function. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the deaths are one thing, but it's also long-term disability, long, well, short-term and long-term disability yeah. as well. And and also, we don't know a lot of the other, out, uh, you know, the long-term outcomes of people who have, because um, there's there's people who still experience long-term symptoms for months, the mm-hmm. ongoing, like they've yeah. had it and they're still experiencing it now. So there's such a spectrum of experiences, but you know, fortunately, most people will just get a temperature um you know and a, and, a, and a headache and they're okay you know they feel better a few days later which is which is great i'm i'm happy about that um but yeah. ultimately the thing that's going to get us back to to, to normal or near normal living is going to be an effective vaccine and we're absolutely fortunate that we've got you know several good candidates for that and and, and we're oh, yeah. at the forefront of that i think there are 200 in development but many of them are still in early stages so yeah, yeah. So it might, it might even be one that we that we find out it's going to be even you know even even better even cheaper yeah. but um you know we are we are where we are and it's looking pretty promising um so unless there are any more questions coming in the next minute or two maybe we'll just we'll, we'll start thinking about sort of rounding up mm-hmm. um do you have any book recommendations that people could read up on about vaccines um i don't actually have any book recommend because i read many papers uh give me a second do you have one um let me um i actually bought one a couple of days ago and i haven't got around to to reading it yet and i'm just i'm just gonna get I recommend the movie and the band played on which is a tv movie from 20 years ago which is on the development of looking at hiv is uh, and the cause of hiv which is a good good insight into how the medical science world works um that was on if you find that there's there's a book by um uh paul uh paul offit called deadly choices um Mm -hmm. that's about that's a that's that's the that's the book i bought recently that's meant to be very very good um okay so we've got we've got a question here here we go you don't mind do you 
No, no, please. Yeah, so thank, thank you, Richard, for the questions. They're really good questions, really helpful. Uh, okay, so regular flu mutates each year and just under half a million died of it worldwide right. in 2017, right. 18, yet no lockdown or anything um, said on the news. Yeah, that's true. Yes, I mean, as, and we had the pandemic strain in 1918 and um, we had risks. We, we did actually have a lot. We did, we did look at restrictions, though, because when swine flu happened, yeah, uh, yeah, was, we did actually do locked uh, quarantines because there was a major concern about swine flu becoming pandemic. Um, uh, influenza can be very serious now, um, uh, and there are a lot of questions about about what we can do to prevent influenza uh, pandemic strains occurring. Because um, a lot of that, that often happens because of um, the combination of influenza viruses between birds, pigs, and humans, and so that brings the question of how do we avoid proximity of those three um, animals um, to each other in, in, in farming. Um, but yeah, but no, we, it is influenza is very serious. So uh, I think we, I think, but by comparing to influenza and looking at, uh, we can maybe underestimate the severity of COVID uh, because yeah. we underestimate the severity of influenza for starters. Yeah, yeah I guess it's well, well, and and flu tends to be seasonal as well. The thing about COVID is that it's it's the same all year. It seems like it's the same all year round. Yeah. Um, and um, you know the thing about flu as well, uh, it tends to, um, um, in, in terms of the mortality rate, it is, um, I guess, well, actually, I mean, it's, it's broadly kind of reflective in the same that people who are younger tend to, to mm. tend to, you know, tend to, to not be affected too badly, uh, whereas those those who are older are. Um, but I don't think it would it would um, yeah, it's not quite it, as good as COVID, but yeah, not quite as. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We're already at, what were we at? 1.5 million or something, I think. Yeah. Over the, um, over the, since March. So we'll probably be close. It's going to be probably over 2 million. So I probably, probably yeah. 2, 2.5 million by the time we get to a year, looking like, yeah. I reckon. Uh, how can this new vaccine be trusted when things like HIV and polio were actually man made? Well, <laughs> uh, uh, um, HIV and neither of those were man made. Sorry. <laughs> um, there was, I know the HIV, there were questions whether HIV be, began in a lab or HIV began through uh, in, in Africa from cells that were infected with, with HIV given to humans, but neither of those were true. Um, HIV, they're actually, for, for the sake of information, there are actually two different viruses called HIV, um, HIV-1 and HIV-2, and they have different origins. Um, HIV-1, which is the one we're most familiar with because it affects uh, more of the world, um, it came, it originally came from chimps, and HIV-2 came from macaques. Yeah, yeah. so there's basically, it comes down to evidence. There's, there's no evidence uh, that HIV or polio were man-made, yeah. uh, against not, not from trustworthy uh, sources. Again, you will always find people who will, who will, will make certain claims. That's just the nature of, uh, of humanity. There's no reason, there's no motivation to create a virus like HIV because no. it would affect everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and and it says, why do we already get a vax? We get a vaccination for regular flu, yet people still get it. Um, yep. So if you got that, Justin, yeah. so, uh, there's already a vaccination for regular flu, yet people can still, still get it. True. Uh, but so, so influenza uh, virus changes relatively quickly, the, the, um, and so when people are, and not the normal strains circulating any one time of influenza, so the vaccines developed against those, vac those strains of influenza that are most likely to cause disease and serious disease in people, um, 
it, it is preventative, but it might not have caught all the strains. It might, and it's possible to get a strain that wasn't included in the vaccine. Um, uh, uh, but even then, it's thought that it will, it will lessen the symptoms. So even if you get any any of the strains, it will make it, make it less severe. So that's the answer. It, it comes down to the continued mutation of, of influenza virus. Yeah. And even then, I mean, vaccines are not 100% effective. Like we, we want no. them to be, but you can have you can have a vaccine, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be effective. And that's when we talk about the, um, you know, how effective some of the, 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 the vaccines have been, the variance between, say, the AstraZeneca one and the mm-hmm. uh, and and the and the and the Pfizer one. Um, how your body, um, so when your body sees an infection, it presents different, different, different parts of it to the immune system. Says, oh, this this is immune, this is something we should attack. And everybody's everybody has different responses. So people can display different parts of the virus, and some parts are less good at creating a vaccine response than other parts, or an immune response than other parts. Yeah. Okay, I think we're, we're approaching the two-hour mark, so we'll probably have to probably have to, to, to round up. There's only so many times I can uh, ask questions, but I really appreciate all, all the questions we've been asked. Mm-hmm. And if you are um, on, on Facebook and you want to carry on the conversation, uh, feel free to, to to get in touch. Or, or the best thing to do will probably be to post comments um, on on the YouTube on, on YouTube um, afterwards. And I'm sure uh, Jocelyn and or myself will be happy to try and do our best to, to answer those questions. Obviously, we can't can't stay our line. It's nearly, nearly ten o'clock now. Um, and but I, I um, Jocelyn, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to to do that. I really appreciate. It. I've I've learned a lot, as I'm sure those uh, people people listening have. And maybe uh, maybe New Year, maybe we'll get you back for uh, for another hour or something if there's um, yeah, there's no shortage of there's no shortage of questions. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll try not to do it on such short notice next time so we can get a, a lot That's more right. questions in advance and things like that. But my, my hope is that people will watch us afterwards and, and we'll, find, find this, uh, we'll, we'll find this helpful. Um, but uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, thank you for the questions. Uh, thanks again to Jocelyn. And uh, please uh, subscribe if, you, if you've in, enjoyed this. Please comment below. And as I said, we'll try and, we'll try and, um, uh, we'll try and respond to those questions when, when we can. And um, yeah, wishing you uh, yeah happy Christmas. I don't think we I think we've got one more uh, podcast coming out next week uh, before before uh, before Christmas, and and then we haven't got any coming. I think till the end of January. So we're gonna have a, me and Phil gonna have a bit of rest. And as I said, Phil's not here because he is he's otherwise engaged, having a bit of a rest. Uh, so that's why it's just been been, been me this evening. But uh, thank you very much. Take care and uh, yeah, um, thank you. All right. Thank you. Are you not Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear, please do give us a subscribe on YouTube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback. Get in touch, let us know what you think. If you really enjoyed the content and want to support it, find us on patreon.com. 